turn to the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I know I'm not registering anything shocking when I say that we're living in turbulent times. We all feel the, the pressure of inflation, economic volatility. We, at some point, feel the effect of supply chain issues and shortage of people willing to work, while those who really want to work can't seem to find work. Current events are reported with such prejudice that there's almost no way to know what one can believe. Our world has turned into a minefield where one's relational and vocational well-being can implode in a, a careless second if one fails to remember or acknowledge another's preferred pronoun. And the same eggshells are scattered on the ground of our Christian subculture. Nearly every communication is carefully analyzed with a, what did he or she mean by that? And then cautiously responded to with a, it depends. <laughs> Anxiety spreads through every system as people wonder if they will be cast aside as woke or wimpy or dismissed as a narcissist or a knuckle-headed ninny. Deconstruction is the new apostasy. It's really like something out of a post-apocalyptic movie where you just have no idea who you can trust. And then at a more personal level, we know, we know among us here at Emmaus Road Church, a good many of you, you have endured dramatic change. Some of you have relocated from all over the country. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have been let go. Some of you are in the wild and wonderful throes of the child-rearing years, while others are in the tough but tender throes of the caring for aging parents' years. Many of us have never been more aware of our personal vulnerabilities. So where do we turn for stability? Where do we drop our anchor where it's going to hold and we will not drift? We've sought to tether ourselves as a church to God's holy and authoritative word. We've tethered ourselves to gospel-centered preaching, and teaching, and singing, and counseling. We've pinioned ourselves to the mountains of Guess what would be known as reform theology, and in particular, the sovereignty of God. And we have found that each of these anchor points engender stability, engender peace in the midst of our turbulent times. But on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to draw your attention to yet another anchor point. And this powerful foundation stone is one that looks not just backward in history to an a epoch-altering event, but forward into our future 
and to a day when we shall all be changed. So if you're able, I want to invite you, if you would, to stand in honor of the Lord's communication of himself to us through his word. And it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 50 through 58, that the Apostle Paul writes this. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And so we are trusting, Lord, the the promise that hearing your word is your means of birthing and begetting and bringing into being faith. Faith that saves, faith that perseveres, faith that makes brings about obedience, faith that engenders change, faith that sanctifies. We're looking to you to keep that promise here today. Magnify the glory of your word. Magnify the glory of your promises. Magnify the glory of your faithfulness. And above all, magnify the glory of a living, risen working, saving, transforming Savior, our Lord Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58, the Apostle Paul 
answers a question. He answers the question, what is the foundation for Christian stability and perseverance and joy in this life and in the next? In this crazy, turbulent, uncertain, deconstructing world, where do we go? Where do we go for something that is stable, unshakable, unmovable? And Paul's answer in this text is the resurrection of the dead. The Christian hope of resurrection from death is another foundation stone of our stability and perseverance and joy both in this life and in the life that is to come. Or if we were to follow Paul's order, a Christian's hope and assurance of being raised from the dead is his or her foundation for stability and perseverance and joy and fruitfulness both in heaven and on earth. Paul's Paul's order makes a lot of sense, right? Among the people of the first century church in Corinth, there, there was not a little care and confusion regarding what happens if and when a Christian is raised from the dead. The inference of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51 is that unless Jesus comes again first, we all shall die. We shall all sleep. That's Paul's metaphor. Our our dying, our sleeping, as it were, is as inevitable and immovable as this coming Saturday when our taxes are due. But according to verse 51, Paul assures us, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be Change. That is, we shall all be raised. We shall all experience resurrection from death. Rising from sleeping. So, so this, is, this is another piece of the bedrock. Namely, the assurance of change. The assurance of our own resurrection. And Paul is emphatic about it. His language communicates a force. There's, a, there's, a note, there's actually a note of challenge in it. Verse 50, I tell you this. Verse 51, behold. That's just another way of, look, listen up. I tell you, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed. Death is such an unsettling thing. It's the ultimate ending in this world, and therefore it shakes us, rocks us. I mean, just simply anticipating it can be disequilibrating. My wife and I recently sat through a sales pitch for funeral pre-planning. <laughs> yeah, that's where our heads are at. Uh, <laughs> even in a conversation like that, <laughs> there are 
deeper effects. Questions like, okay, so our loved ones, our dead loved, where are they now? What is reality like that for them now? What will it be like then? What's it going to be like in heaven? What will we be like in heaven? And Paul says, we shall be changed. We'll be different. And, and today, we can know that we shall all be changed because God has promised that we all shall be changed. And he puts the promise in writing, verses 54 through 55 says, Then, then shall come to pass, then, then being the day when we are raised and changed, then shall come to pass the saying, That is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That was written by the prophet Isaiah. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your string? Sting, that written by the prophet Hosea. And Paul leaves no doubt about when and how we shall be changed. In verse 52, he writes, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. Three, three very vivid little phrases, each with a particular nuance that I think are intended to indicate to us that Paul's not making this up. In a moment, it's, it's the Greek word atomo, from which we get the, Greek, uh, the English word, guess, atom. We shall be changed in the smallest possible amount of time. The twinkling of an eye. It's the, the, the length of time it takes to blink. And at the last trumpet, this is a military term that signals celebration, it signals triumph, it sig signals triumph, in this case, over the last enemy, which we've already sung about, that would be death itself. And so you see the assurance of our resurrection transformation is the ground, it's the bedrock for the, the greatest victory party the world will ever see. And it's the bedrock, its bedrock is laid in the very promises of God, which leads to second observation, namely the agency of change. How does this happen? Or who makes it happen? Signaled first in verses 51 and 52, it says, We shall all be changed, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hoping you're kind of noticing my emphasis on the passive verb tense. We're not the ones acting. We should, should go without saying the dead don't act, they're acted upon. And the one doing the acting, the changing, the raising, is the one who, with a word, spoke the galaxies into being. He created the sun and the moon and every star and the world and everything. And he's the changer. For it is he who gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And so in him... We live and move and have our being in this life and in the life that is to come. And so Paul breaks into a spontaneous moment of worship in verse 57. Thanks be to God. 
Thank you, God. Thank you who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God the Father. Thanks be to God the Son. In 1 Corinthians 15.20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, in union with Christ, shall all be made alive. So the one who raised Christ, Jesus from the dead, he's the same one who will raise those who are joined to Christ through faith from the dead. Romans 6.5 says, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So the ground of our stability, the ground of our perseverance in all that life hands us, the ground of our joy and peace and fruitfulness, whether it be in this life or whether it is the joy that we will experience that is in the life to come, it is the same power of the same God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And it's not only divine power to raise, but it is divine power to fit us for eternity. We need to be changed. So a third observation is the necessity of it. The necessity of being changed. Paul explains why in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. It must. Why must it? <laughs> well, the reason is that our, our perishable mortal bodies must be changed. It, it's, be, it's because our physical moral vulnerability cannot withstand God's presence. If we went like this, we would not endure. David Pryor comments on this text. These physical bodies of ours are simply incapable of coping with the glory of God. Or as John Piper writes, the worshiping, loving response of Christ's people can never be what it ought to be if we must meet the Lord on that day with the meager, sin-infected, weak, fallen, emotional capabilities of our present condition. He goes on. If we're to enjoy and glorify God as we ought and as we desire, we must not only be counted perfect in Christ, that is justified, but we but must be made perfect. 
perfect in mind, heart, and body by Christ. That change will happen at the coming of Christ. And I believe that's, that's exactly what Paul's getting at in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians verses 40 to 49. Listen to this. There, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory... It breaks into a little bit of a metaphor here. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. So, so there's, there's a, a fitting condition for each entity in whatever situation it's in. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What's sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first. But the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall, on that day, When we are changed, we will bear the image of the man of heaven. It's got to happen. Because the mortal, the perishable, cannot endure the eternal. In other words, God produces bodies that are specially and perfectly suited to their respective environments. And our bodies as they are may be suited for this earthly existence, but they are useless They're absolutely useless in the perfection of God's kingdom. David Pryor again comments that they need to be buried, that is our bodies. They need to be buried when their work is done so that from such raw material God can produce a spiritual body. Perfectly suited for inheriting the kingdom of God. So what, what then is the essence of this resurrection body? into which we will experience such dramatic change. Well, since they will be changed from perishable to imperishable, and from mortal to immortal, our resurrection bodies will no longer, no longer be able to get sick. They'll no longer decay. They'll no longer otherwise succumb to loss. Those of us that are older find that very encouraging to hear. Since they will be changed from dishonor to glory and bear the image of man of heaven, we'll have a body, we'll have a body like the risen Christ. Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body To be like his glorious body. And since our bodies are 
are now sown in weakness, so to speak, but will be raised in power in heaven, we will no longer, we'll never grow tired (laughs) or lack the energy to do God's will. No longer will it be said that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our perfected being, our perfected souls, our perfected, we will receive equally perfected bodies empowered to live vibrantly, fully, for eternity. And since our natural bodies will be raised spiritual bodies, we shall be perfectly and eternally governed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee comments, the resurrection body, this changed, transformed body, it's not composed of spirit, It is a body adapted to the future existence that is under the ultimate dominion of the Spirit. And so whereas remaining sin in our lives, it just diminishes our power of observation and reasoning and clear thinking and, oh my goodness, memory. We shall be changed and our our thinking will be resurrected. Whereas sin has spoiled some of our emotions, affections, such as fear, anger, shrunk others, such as love, so that they're just so minimal. We shall be changed and our affections will be resurrected. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Paul writes that that we all shall be changed. In other words, not only will those who have trusted Christ put on immortality, so also will those who have rejected Christ for other things put on immortality. One 17th century pastor theologian describes their eternal state. If all this cannot commend to you the state of heavenly glory, cast your eyes down into that deep and bottomless pit, full of horror, full of torment, where there is nothing but tears and shrieks and gnashing of teeth, nothing but fiends and tortures. Look where there is darkness that can be felt yet where there is perpetual fire, where the condemned are ever burning but never consumed, where they lie ever dying but are never dead. Look where there is constant complaining, never any mercy, where the glutton begs for a drop of water, yet, alas, whole rivers of water could not quench those rivers of brimstone which feed this flame. Look where this endless pain has no intermission, where after millions of years there will still be no possibility of comfort. The mortal shall put on immortality. Think of that. It's to not be changed is to never be happy. To not be changed is to remain in a worthless, vain condition. 
How dare we let another moment pass before we turn from preferring other things before God? Friends, I, I, I would exhort you, entrust yourself to Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins and for the hope of such pervasive change, change that will fit you for eternal joy at God's right hand. But such hope of resurrection transformation is not only significant for the future, the reality of being changed actually changes everything today. It functions now. It, get thing, it gets things done now. It is a means of grace of moving us now. The resurrection is the foundation of present stability, present perseverance, present joy, present fruitfulness in all the things that will matter most on the last day. You see, there's only two things that are going to matter on the last day, and that is, that's the, the depth of relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ and the others that we have brought with us. Those are the only things that will endure. Certainly not going to be our 401k or our homes or anything else this world offers to us. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, and that therefore is referring back to all that Paul, Paul has just account, recounted. Therefore, because of the promise of change. Therefore, because of the nature of such change. Because of the necessity of such change. Because of the power of such change. Because God has, will change us. In Christ, all who are united with Jesus. Therefore, because of all that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not, well, pull up your bootstraps, be tough, don't be a wuss, be unshakable, get busy, and you'll be changed. No, since we will be changed, since it is the power of God through Christ who will change us, since it is the power of God in Christ that is at work in us, my dear friends, knowing that, knowing that, and in reliance on that, live your remaining days, years in this world, steadfast, immovable, unshakable, full of joy, bearing good fruit, engaged with the things that will matter the most and endure for all eternity. The source of our emotional resilience, the, the bedrock of our relational endurance, the foundation for our spiritual perseverance and our kingdom fruitfulness is not the strength of our resolve, but rather the reality of the transforming grace that is ours in union with the person and finished work of our crucified and risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray to him now. Oh, Lord God, it is a day to celebrate the victory that has been accomplished in Christ Jesus once for all at the cross and vindicated and proven, demonstrated to be true because of his resurrection. And we do. We celebrate it. And it is a a day, O Lord, as we look forward to the last day when the trumpet will sound. And in the most brief of moments, we shall all be changed. And for those who are in Christ Jesus... What a day that will be. What a day that will be when we will be made new for a new realm of life forever. So, Lord, we pray that by the working of your Spirit, you might bring to bear these these things upon us, that we might behold them, we might see them, we might sense them, we might taste them, and we might entrust ourselves to them. For your glory, for your name's sake. Amen.